Good morning. What a wonderful story that the Saunders family has. I'm encouraged by their faith and obedience to Christ, and I'm, I'm challenged uh, by their willingness to go beyond what we might consider their natural limitations and continue to welcome more children into their family. I do hope that you've had a chance or will take some time uh, to watch uh, these other stories that our creative team has produced uh, on the campaign of Sanctity of Human Life. You can watch those on our Facebook page uh, or at the, by the end of the week you can watch all of them on our website as there's two more due to be released this week. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Cody. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I've been here for a little more than two and a half years. Uh, and since I've been here, uh, my family and I, my wife and I have adopted four children. And uh, we are just tremendously grateful uh, for that opportunity and God's grace in our life. And so, uh, because we have uh, been involved in adoption, uh, Pastor Brian has asked me to preach on the topic of adoption. So we're, we're veering off of Acts to just today, and we're going to be talking about adoption. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. You can go ahead and turn there. It's Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. On January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court issued a 7-2 decision in favor of Roe that held that women in the United States have a fundamental right to choose whether or not to keep their baby. Since then, the U.S. has been responsible for performing well over 50 million abortions. Now, let me just veer off uh, for a moment and say something about abortion. And in particular, let me offer a word to anyone who has participated in that. Committing abortion is not, it is not the unforgivable sin. In fact, we know that the Apostle Paul was actively involved in the persecution of many Christians before God converted him. And we also know that it was the Apostle Paul who tells us in the book of Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you have been a part of that in your past, but you are in Christ, your sin has been atoned for. It has been completely and utterly forgiven. It's wiped clean. And so then, rejoice in the gospel of grace. It is God's kindness to forgive us of our sin. And let me also say that we're not studying, we're not talking uh, on this topic of abortion, but rather we're, we're going to be studying just the opposite. We're going to be studying the topic, like I said, of adoption. And in particular, our adoption by God in Christ. And how that, that reality might lead us to imitate our Heavenly Father and participate in the adoption of children. So my goal this morning is to persuade you, to persuade you and your family to pray to pray about the idea of opening up your family to other children who are in need of a family. Now, now I don't want you to think automatically, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too busy, and check the no box right off the bat. I'm asking you 
to give genuine prayer and consideration to the adoption of children. And I hope that, that as we study this passage, that I will be able to persuade you to do this. I think that this passage of Scripture in Galatians encapsulates so well our divine adoption in Christ by God. And so, with that being said, both you and I have a difficult task this morning. I have the task of speaking on behalf of God accurately on the topic of adoption. And you have the task to make sure that what I am saying is truly from God and not just of myself. You have a, a, a pretty uh, significant task this morning, do you not? Because what I'm going to do, what I'm going to attempt to do this morning is persuade you as Christian families that you should give careful prayer, careful consideration to adopting children based on this passage of Scripture. And if I happen to be wrong, then we can just throw it all out and go about our business. But if I have to happen to be right, then you and I have a radical call on our lives to imitate the pattern that is set by our Heavenly Father and participate in adoption. So, now that the pressure is officially on all of us, why don't we uh, look at our passage and ask God to help us know his will? Paul writes in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would be glorified this morning. I pray that you would help us engage with this passage of Scripture. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work within our hearts to reveal to us what it is that you would have us do with our lives. That we would be edified by this understanding of your adoption in Christ to us and that, that, that it may lead some of us and even many of us to adopt children who are in need of a family. Work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. And, and now you might, you might find it interesting that this letter was written to the churches that were established on Paul's first missionary journey. The churches that were established, as we have just studied about in the book of Acts in chapter 13 and 14. And he's writing to them just a few years later uh, because they had become susceptible to false teaching. They've become susceptible to false doctrine. And if you look over at chapter 1 in Galatians, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so he goes on to explain that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, 
If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be condemned. And so what Paul goes on to do throughout the remainder of this letter is to correct their misunderstandings of the gospel. And in so doing, he puts forth a right understanding of the gospel. He gives this long explanation of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And as he's doing this, he comes to the very purpose of the gospel, which is redemption, which results in the desire behind the gospel, which is adoption. And all of this, of course, for the glory of God. And so what I want us to see in our passage this morning is that in the hopelessness hopelessness of humanity, God initiates. He takes action for the intended purpose of redemption with the desired result of adoption and affection. And so then what I want us to do with that theology, what I want us to do with that understanding of God's divine love for us is that when we see the hopelessness of orphans that we as Christian families would take action, that we would initiate with the desired result of adoption and affection for the intended purpose of redemption. And so let's work this out in our passage. I'm going to read again verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's make a couple of observations here. First, this phrase, when the fullness of time had come. So up to this point in human history, the the first century AD, when Jesus comes onto the scene, up to this point in human history, only the people of Israel have had access to God. The rest of the world, for the most part, did not. And even much of Israel did not have the same intimacy with God as we do today through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The world, by and large, was hopeless, without hope and without God. And so, we see here that God does something. What does he do? He sent forth his son. What's the subject and verb here? Just just basic grammar. The, The subject is God. The verb is sent. God sent. The most basic idea to observe here is that God has done done something. He has taken initiative. He has taken action. And if you were to go back and read the first three chapters or so of Galatians, you would notice that Paul never makes mention of any person or, or group of people summoning God to do something about their brokenness to do something about their hopelessness. You won't even find a hint of someone summoning God to adopt them into his family. And why is that? Well, because the natural man, we know that the Bible teaches us, does not want to be in God's family. The natural man is dead in their sins and transgressions, a child of wrath, not desiring to be adopted into the family of God. And so, looking back down at our text, what exactly then does God initiate? What does he take action on? Well, Paul explains that when the fullness of time had come, so at just the exact 
time that God had purposed in eternity past, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, did you catch that? God initiates our redemption. He sent forth his son to initiate our redemption. So we must notice that God acts. He sends his son for an intended purpose. And that purpose is redemption. It is to redeem. And this word redemption is is kind of a, a, some people might think a churchy word, but really it's it's in the Bible. It's It's a biblical word. And this word carries the idea of paying a price to recover something from a, the power of another. So let's think about that as it applies to us. Christians, at one time, were hopeless. We were under the power of sin and the do- domain of darkness. But, right, Ephesians chapter 2, but God, he does something. He makes us alive together with Christ. God takes action. We have been redeemed. We have been bought by God and for God. And we will all agree that our redemption was costly. Was it not? Our redemption was costly. A price had to be paid. And that price, of course, was the blood of Jesus. It was God sending his son into the world to redeem his people by shedding his blood on the cross. So God looked at our hopelessness under the dominion of sin, and he took action. He sent forth his son for the intended purpose of redeeming his people. And God's desired result, as we'll see, of redemption is adoption and affection. Look again with me at the text. God sent forth his son to redeem so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now just consider the beauty of this. God looks down upon humanity. He recognizes our hopelessness. He takes action. He sends forth his son and he redeems us in all of this so that we could be his adopted children. Who can begin to touch the surface of God's love for us, for his children? Our adoption means that we have been eternally reconciled with the God who created the universe. Our adoption means that we will never not be loved. Quite the opposite. God's love never runs out. God's love persists throughout all eternity. And he joyfully pours it out on his children whom he has adopted. So our redemption results in our adoption, but not only in our divine adoption, but also in our in receiving divine affection. Look at verse 6. Paul goes on. He says, "And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father." God sends the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, into the hearts of his adopted children, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, what exactly 
does that mean? What does Abba mean? Well, Abba is just an Aramaic word that would be translated for us as daddy. It, it is used here to show intimacy. So not only are we adopted by the God of the universe, but he is our father. He's not an aloof father. He's not a too busy to pay attention to our needs and desires father. He's not a father who just uses us to get what he wants. He's not a father who stays gone from us. He's a father who deeply cares for us. He is a father who desires fellowship with us. He is a father that has sacrificed for us. A father who is not just God, but who is in a very real sense, Daddy. He is our Abba Father. So why does Paul use this term, Abba Father? Well, I think it's because he wants the Christians there in Galatia to know, and as well as us to know, that repentance and faith in Jesus, that response to the gospel puts us in a father-child relationship with the God of the universe. And we don't have to work to gain his favor. We don't work to gain his love for us, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. This is a marvelous truth. I was telling a guy uh, earlier this week that I was going to be preaching on this topic of adoption. And he jokingly asked me, he says, do you have to, be a, you have to adopt to be a Christian? And we both know the answer to that is no. You don't adopt uh, to be a Christian. You don't even have to adopt to be considered a faithful Christian, right? We don't adopt so that God will somehow love us more or favor us more. That's not the reason we adopt. But adoption does, in a very real, intangible sense, reflect the character of God. It is a glorious thing, and he is honored and glorified by it. And so we don't do it to earn God's favor and love. We do it because of the love that we have received from him, because he is our Abba Father. And you might find it interesting uh, that Jesus used this word Abba uh, only one time, or at least it's only recorded for us one time in the Gospel of Mark. He uses it in chapter 14. I'm going to read a few verses from Mark 14, verse 32 through 36. And I want you to notice the context in which uh, Mark records this and as Jesus uses this word. Verse 32, Mark records, And they, that is Jesus and his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. In just a few hours uh, from this prayer, Jesus would be uh, suspended on the cross dying for the, the sins of humanity. And he cries out in verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, in his most uh, distressed time, cries out to his affection-giving Father, asking him, pleading with him, 
to pass this, this hour from him, knowing that he would still go and die on the cross. But the point is that there is intimacy there. Jesus is crying out to his Abba Father. And we, as God's adopted children, those whom he has redeemed, those whom he has purchased, we ought to do so as well. So we see in these verses so far that God sees humanity in their hopelessness of sin and death, and he initiates, he takes action for the intended purpose of redemption with the desired result of adoption and affection. Now let's think about how that might apply to us. So we, as imitators of our Heavenly Father, when we, Christian families, see children who are helpless and hopeless due to whatever the cause might be, we initiate, we take action with the desired result of adoption and affection for the intended purpose of redemption. Now, notice the order change there. Uh, It's very important because only God has the authority and the power to redeem. We do not. But we do have the authority and the power, and I might even add the responsibility to care for orphans. And our goal in doing so, our purpose in giving children a family is redemption. Not that we eternally redeem a child, but we bring a child into a gospel-centered, biblically-informed family. We love them as our own, and we pray that God would redeem them for his glory. So when we see the millions of children roaming the earth without a family, we do not turn a blind eye. We cannot just decide that we're not going to think about it. We must not be indifferent toward it because that's not our Heavenly Father's posture. And the pursuit of godliness at its very core is, or at least it involves, in imitating God. And when God sees hopelessness, he takes action, which means that when we see hopelessness, we take action. We do something. We take a God-like initiative. And our action that we should consider taking is caring for the orphans in their distress. The desired result of this action is adoption and affection. So let, let me just clarify this a bit. Our initiative should not be limited to providing an orphan with a home. Our initiative should be to provide an orphan with a family. That is to say, our action should not be limited to providing material needs for these orphans. Our action should go beyond that to give these orphans a family. Isn't this what our Heavenly Father does? He doesn't save us from wrath, redeem us out of our sins, and then let us go out on our own and wander the earth. No, He redeems us. He pours out his Holy Spirit into us, and he puts us into a family. He puts us into a church where we can be loved for and cared for and nurtured and grow in our understanding of his love for us. And so we put ourselves out there to care for the orphan with a longing desire to adopt them 
and to show them affection. We don't reserve our affection out of fear of that love not being reciprocated, out of fear of that love not being returned. We smother them like God does us. Now I realize that fear is possibly the biggest obstacle preventing any one of us from adopting children. But should we fear the act of loving a child? Church family, let us not fear the act of loving a child, but let us fearlessly imitate our Heavenly Father and love these children who are in need of families. And finally, our purpose. Purpose matters, doesn't it? Everyone's got a purpose in life. Well, hopefully you do. Hopefully you're not just kind of duped doing along through life. Maybe uh, you've sat down at the beginning of the year and you've decided we've got a purpose for this year. We're going we're gonna to make sure whatever it might be happens this year in 2020. Purpose matters. It is the crux of this argument. We initiate hopeless orphans, giving them affection and giving them families for this purpose, their redemption in Christ. Now we must recognize that this is totally different from what the world's purpose would be. Many non-Christian families adopt, and I praise God for that. That's God's common grace given to all mankind. But the world's purpose is very different from our purpose. I'm going to read a, uh, a conversation from a recent foster care movie or foster care awareness movie that has come out. And it, and it captures, this scene captures so well the worldly purpose of adoption. And I don't mean worldly like heinous sin. I just mean worldly as in other than church. All right, so here's the scene. The foster daughter, 15-year-old Lizzie, in great distress, she asked her foster parents, soon-to-be-adopted parents, why they would take her and her siblings in. Why would they do such a thing? They responded with this, we did this because there was something missing from our lives. And what was missing from their lives, they implied, was Juan, Lita, and Lizzie. That is, Lizzie and her two siblings. And so this couple engages in foster care and it engages in adoption because there was something they claimed that was missing from their lives. But Christians do not proceed to adopt children because there's something missing. Christians aren't missing anything. We have all we need provided by Christ. Is that true? We have it all. Now, now let me just try to clarify a little bit. I'm not suggesting that God doesn't use a couple's infertility to lead them to adopt children. That certainly happens. And in fact, that's our story. For 12 years and six months of our marriage, we had no success in conceiving, which God used in his plan to form our family. And I praise God for that. I praise God that it was him who formed our family up. It wasn't me. I would have probably jacked it up pretty badly. But it was God. And so God does use infertility as well as a host of other things to lead Christians to adopt. But ultimately, we do not choose to adopt out of lack or because we are missing something in our life. We choose to adopt 
because we have nothing missing. We choose to adopt because all is provided to us by God in Christ. Let's get real about our situation, folks. We have a heavenly father who loves us more than we could ever fathom. We have Jesus, who is our savior and redeemer. We have the Holy Spirit that has been sent into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, and we are no longer slaves to sin. This is verse 7. We are no longer slaves to sin, but rather we are sons. And if we are sons, then we are heirs through God. We have the greatest inheritance that anyone could ever imagine or dream of. Our choosing to adopt children doesn't come from an empty heart, but a heart that is welled up with gratitude because of what we have and who we are in Christ Jesus. What joy we have. We have eternal life. And we have the message of eternal life that every orphan in the world is in desperate need of. And certainly we care about the orphans suffering on earth, but we mostly care about their eternal suffering, separated from God and without Christ. So our purpose in adoption is redemption. But redemption will not happen unless we consider an orphan's hopelessness and take action. We must take the initiative, giving children a family that smothers them with affection. And all of this for the glory and the renown of God. So as we've looked at Uh, Maybe some of you have watched these videos and we've looked at Galatians 4 and we're thinking about the sanctity of human life. Maybe we're thinking about our stance of being pro-life. What I want to say is being pro-life can be quite easy and quite comfortable when it doesn't interrupt our lifestyles. It can be easy, right? We can take that stance fairly easy with our words when it doesn't interrupt our lifestyle. But I think it is about time that we prove our pro-life conviction with pro-life action. I think it is about time for us to get on our knees and ask our Heavenly Father, the God of the universe, to help us care for the unwanted children of the world. And believe me when I tell you that these children don't primarily need our sympathy. And they don't need our money. They need our families. They are in desperate need of a father and a mother who will love them even when our circumstances might make that difficult or when it might be inconvenient. They need a father and a mother who will love them and who will be faithful to share the good news of Jesus with them. So as we're thinking about that, we're thinking about application, I want to say that there are a host of ways to getting involved with caring for orphans. I mean, it's endless of how we could do this. There's brother and sister, there's, there's foster care, there's all sorts of things in the foster care system that you can do to be involved. But, but this morning, if you remember, my aim this morning, my goal was to persuade you to just pray, give careful consideration, give genuine prayer, and pray about adopting children. Don't consider yourself a no, a no box until you've given prayer to it. It doesn't matter the age, it doesn't matter how busy you are, just give prayer to it. And in God's timing, 
he may call you to do and be involved in adoption. There are several guys who I meet with who are in college right now. We meet on Wednesday mornings. And uh, I, I would not be encouraging them to adopt right now, right? And, and so we, we, we consider our season. But what I'm asking you is to not rule it out based on what you think. But pray about it. Ask God and see where he leads you in your family, what he leads you to do for his glory. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for our redemption that we have in Jesus. We are grateful for the blood that has been shed for us so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be reconciled to you for all eternity. And God, we are grateful that it is that redemption that accomplishes us or our adoption. We are adopted for all eternity by the God who created the universe. Father, I pray that that would rest on our hearts and on our minds. And Father, I pray as we consider this growing in our understanding of divine adoption, that you would lead many of us to engage in the care for orphans. And then to do so, not reserving or holding anything back, but opening wide open our family as you have done for us. God, I pray that you would be glorified in all of this here at Foothills Baptist Church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.